Hey, everybody. Merry Christmas, Grace Point. I promised somebody a wave over there. Um, we're so glad you're here with us today, tonight, wherever you are in the world. We realize some of you are here in the room. Some of you are joining us online from all over the world. Some of you are joining us online somewhere between Nissan Stadium and wherever you're going, and you're really sad right now, and hopefully you're listening, and hopefully this will bring your spirits up a bit. Um, before I jump in, I just want to say a couple thank yous, because on a, this is Saturday, by the way. I don't know if you're aware. Uh, we do this on Sunday mornings, and so this is an off time for us, and so there are a lot of people that had to be willing to be kind to us to let this happen. First of all, Third and Lindsley, they let us be here tonight, and we're really, really appreciative. Um, uh, Ron, who runs the place, is just a fantastic human being. He's been so good to us uh, over the last year that we've been, or year and a half we've been here. I want to thank our staff and volunteers who have been up here singing, who have been pulling us all off, and our tech team who have been doing this. Um, and I also want to say a special thank you to Craig Ammon. I don't know where Craig is, but he got here early. There he is right there. And all the Christmassy stuff you see to make it feel a little more at ho- a little homey, uh, that was Craig today. So can we thank Craig for... Yeah. Um, I've been doing Christmas Eve sermons for a long time now. And about 15 years ago, I think, I mean, time starts to sort of just melt, right? But I started doing this thing where I would find hilarious manger scenes and just show them on Christmas Eve. Um, I haven't done it in a couple of years because this is my fourth Christmas at Grace Point, but it's only my second time doing an in-person Christmas Eve service where we weren't recording ahead of time. And it was just kind of hard to do um, knowing would people laugh. And so now I'll, I'll know whether you're laughing or not. So, um, and if you don't, then you've ruined my Christmas, but no pressure. So uh, let's, let's go with the first one, um, Cohen, if we can. Oh, okay, so here are a few. Um, the one that I'm most interested in there is the one made out of butter. Because butter artists don't get enough credit because they do their labor of love and then it melts. Um, and nobody appreciates them. Uh, I love the, the timer. That's not from my house. Um, and if you make shotgun shell na- manger scenes, you probably haven't understood the story. Can we just go ahead and venture a guess? Let's go next. Um, how many of you in the quiet moments of your life have ever been sitting around and going, I wonder what F- Frankenstein's monster would look like in a nativity scene. Um, Some people use their creativity to, I don't know, take us to the moon, cure diseases, and other people are like, yeah, we're gonna put Frankenstein in the nativity scene. (laughs) That's what they do. Uh, There's another meltable. uh, This is the Christmas story that melts in your mouth, not in your hand. Um, That's funnier than you're letting on. And then, um, I'm not sure about the frog that ate the entire holy family. But, uh, I don't know, do we have another one? Is there another one, maybe? Oh, yes. Okay, we have um, postmodern Christmas over here, which is the, the wise men on, uh, what are those called? Segways, thank you. Uh, delivering their Amazon packages, uh, taking a selfie over there with their half-calf, two-pump almond milk latte. Um, in the middle, we have um, Satan replacing baby Jesus. I'm sorry, it's a cat. Um, re- you know where I stand. In in the words of Martin Luther, here I stand, I can do no other. Um, And then over here, I just love that it looks like, I mean, this is a lot. I mean, this is multiple Darth Vader's, a T-Rex, Star Trek. But I love at the top, it's like Batman is in the middle of a rock opera and he's just living his best life on Christmas. And he deserves it. He broods a lot. Uh, Is that it? Oh, there's more. 
Help us, baby Jesus, you're our only hope. Low-hanging fruit. Um, where we're going, we don't need roads. Jesus can also give you the meat sweats. I don't know, that's exactly, that's like a, a meat-themed Christmas experience. And hopefully that's all, unless I got carried away. Okay, good, that's all. I didn't get too carried away. So here's the thing that gets me about Christmas. Um, that over the course of 2,000 years, a lot has changed. A lot of the ways people celebrate, I mean, 2,000 years ago, Christmas didn't exist. Right? It, was, it was actually you know, a few hundred years into people talking a lot about Jesus that they created a feast called Christmas, which is actually not one day, but 12 days. Don't panic. You don't have to observe them all. Um, that's not, no pressure on you, but that's how the whole thing works. Um, and over 2,000 years, lots and lots of people have talked about Jesus. They've written songs about Jesus. They've written books about Jesus, stories about Jesus. They've done all sorts of things about Jesus. And over 2,000 years, we keep talking about this person. And there are people we still talk about that were from a long time ago. Like, but how many of you, Alexander the Great pops up like daily for you? Anybody? Like if, if you're a historian maybe and you're working, but th this Jesus person has left such a, a, an indelible mark on human history for better and for worse. I think we can all agree that so many of the things people have said about Jesus and done in Jesus's name and for Jesus, some of it has been just really, really awful. Um, and yet we keep coming back to this person. We're compelled by him. We're seeking to ground our lives in his story as we understand it. We're, we're still hovering around this idea of Jesus. And I, I think part of what I see my job to be in the world is it, just imagine that the baby Jesus has been like, you know when people do that mean thing at Christmas where they wrap something in a big box and you open it and there's another box? slightly smaller and you, your soul groans a little and part of you dies and then you open that and then there's an, and finally you get down to like the small little tiny box where the thing is. I think that Christian tradition over the thousands of years, we've been wrapping Jesus in bigger and bigger boxes, which has also made it harder and harder to get to the actual experience that somebody had way back when that led them to believe that this human life was remarkable and transformative and that whatever he was about was something that could benefit the entire uh, planet, right? Like that something happened. There was an experience that, and so I, I kind of see my job is helping to try to pull away those layers of wrapping paper to get down to what was the thing that transformed people? What was the thing that changed people's lives? What was the thing that leads them to keep coming back again and again? And I don't know if you have this feeling, but I have it a lot. As fraught and difficult and terrible as some of the Christian story has been over 2000 years, there is something that just keeps pulling me back to this Jesus person. Um, and I've tried to break up with the guy. He just won't let me. Um, he keeps following me around. And so what is that? What is that that led his first followers to do something that we actually do here at Grace Point? Um, his first followers had this encounter of a human being that kind of rocked the boat for them. And it, it, it didn't meet their expectations. And it sent them in all sorts of like, how could this be possible? How could this be real? How could this, how, how could this guy even be within the bounds? And so what they did is they went back to the Bible. For them, it was the Hebrew scriptures. And they began to reread it. And they began to look for clues for how in the world could this experience of this person match our tradition when it just clearly doesn't. And they began to read the Bible creatively. And when they did, they began to see Jesus pop up everywhere. We've talked about before that when the people who wrote the Hebrew scriptures wrote, they weren't writing about Jesus. They were writing about their own context. But something about the Jesus experience led his followers to reinterpret it. Here's one that pretty early on they began to reinterpret. It's from Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. The young woman is pregnant and is about to give birth to a son and she will name him 
Emmanuel. And in Matthew's sort of misquoting of this text, he ends up telling us Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. Now, in its context, this text refers to something that was happening 700 plus years before Jesus was born. There was a particular Jewish king uh, who was facing a big bad empire who wanted to wipe them out and take over. And this prophet Isaiah comes along and says, look, God's giving you a sign. Your wife is pregnant and is about to have a baby, a son, and that son will be your heir. And if you have an heir, that means your kingdom will continue, right? So it was a, somebody needing reassurance in the face of really big threats. Their world was beginning to crumble and just needed to know that they weren't on their own and that somehow not only was God, did God see them, but God was with them, that God was on their side, that God was for them, that they weren't being left alone. And you can imagine 700 years later, Jesus' disciples, after his death and the Easter experience, going back and seeing what was going on in their own world and going like, how do we know that God is actually with us? And they begin to reread and reimagine their texts. I think we need to be clear about the point of that, God with us. Um, the point of that isn't that God wasn't with us and then Jesus was born and God was suddenly with us. Isn't that how the story often gets told? Like well, humanity was just in a bad way and we were hurting and nobody was on our side and nobody was for us and nobody was with us. And then Jesus was born and apparently as we have sung in Christmas hymns forever, he doesn't cry at all. I don't understand how you'd make a baby do that, but he doesn't cry at all, even when he's upset. And now God is suddenly with us. That, that's not the point. That standard interpretation that we've inherited that God is elsewhere, that God is distant from us, that God is angry at us, that God is just somewhere else and has to be convinced, coddled, drawn, tricked, whatever. We somehow have to get God from over there wherever God, like God's hanging out by Jupiter or something and we need God over here by planet earth on our side, seeing us, rooting for us. That, that's not the point of the Christmas story. And the word we often use to describe this is incarnation. Right, it literally means in flesh, to, to become in flesh. This idea that Jesus becomes God in flesh. The point isn't um, that God wasn't with us and then Jesus was born. The point is the incarnation wasn't anything new. The Jesus experience awakened his followers to what has always been true. God will always be found wearing skin. God will always be found in human flesh and blood. That's where you'll always find God. In my life, every time I've had some sort of experience that I would call a, a, a divine encounter, whatever language you want to use for it, every time it's happened, it has been through an interaction with another living, breathing, walking human being. Jesus wasn't sort of this thing that, oh, this is never how it worked, and now this is sudden. It's a swerve, right? Like, God's like, I'll show him, I'll go down there, right? And I'm going to do it different. No, no, no. What Jesus is waking us up to is that this is how God has always worked. This is what God has always been up to. This is how they've always tried to change the world. Never from the outside looking down, never from these interventions from outside of time and space where sometimes we get all the things lined up right and we pray the right prayer and we, we sign off all the right boxes and then God shows up. It has always been an inside job. God has always been working through real human lives. And if the Jesus story reminds us of anything, it's that God has always and always will be found in the vulnerable. It's that God will always be found on the margins. God will always be found among the oppressed, with the forgotten, 
with those who have been excluded and left out, with those who have been given no chance. God will always be found on the side of the underdog. That's like the revolutionary thing the Bible invites us into. It's the revolution, if the Bible has one original idea in the ancient world, it's that everybody thought that that functioned like a pyramid and that the gods and the rulers were up top and everybody else was sort of trickle down and that God was on the side of the powerful and that if you were being kicked around by somebody powerful, it's because God put them there. And the great innovation of the Hebrew scriptures is this flip of the pyramid that says, actually, you will always find God, not among the powerful. You will always find God hearing the cries of the oppressed. You will always find God drying the tears of those who weep. You will always find God mending the heart of those who have had their hearts broken. That's where you find God in the world. And in the Christmas story, you find God in a baby born to a family who was likely very poor, who were a part of an oppressed people group, who were being crucified by the thousands just for wanting freedom. And when those first cries break into human history, the baby Jesus is on the scene. God doesn't change. God was always there. Jesus was a touch point that helped those around him begin to see the God who had always been there and what this God was always like. The truth is God is found in all the beauty and all the messiness of humanity, which is something that religion has tried to convince us otherwise of for a long, long time. That if you wanna come close to God, you have to be pristine and pure and holy and nothing can be around God that isn't. And yet we find God born laid in the straw that God doesn't move away from the human mess, but God moves to it because even if it's a mess, it's still deeply beautiful because it's human. And to be human is to be beautiful. Are you with me? There's actually a song um, by the Goo Goo Dolls. Any Goo Goo Dolls fans? Um, maybe, maybe we're the only church in America quoting the Goo Goo Dolls tonight, but I think we should. Um, it's from their Christmas song, Better Days. And they have this great line that stops me in my tracks almost every time. The one poor child who saved this world and there's 10 million more who probably could. Right, that, that, that is not irreverent. That is not uh, unfaithful. That, that's actually the good news. Is that Jesus, what makes Jesus so remarkable is that he's so ordinary. <laughs> what makes Jesus so powerful is not that he has, if you were to you know, take his DNA and you would be like, oh, this is divine DNA. It's because in Jesus, we see a human being who tapped into what it means to be divine. Because in Jesus, we see that he is not the human exception, right? Jesus is not the only one. He is actually an invitation to see what we can all become. And he even says this to his disciples in the gospel of John, such a beautiful line. I tell you, those who believe in me will do the works I do. In fact, they'll do greater works than this. Now, if you've read the Gospel of John, you know there's some pretty great stuff in there. I mean, he kicks it off with turning water into wine. And then he's walking on water and healing people. And he looks at his disciples in this Gospel and says, you're gonna do greater things than this. You're gonna bring healing that is even greater than this. You're gonna see transformation. You're gonna be a part of changing the world in ways that are even greater than this. It was never Jesus saying like, I, I wanna do this thing on my own. You guys, y'all just watch me and then when I'm gone, just talk a lot about me. Um, to, to use John Dominic Crossan's language, Jesus didn't come to start a monopoly. He was creating a franchise. 
right? That's what Jesus is up to. He doesn't come along and say, watch me and then talk a lot about it. Make it awkward with friends and family. Take these little paper tracks, leave them everywhere. (laughs) Show up at people's doors, ask them if they know me as their personal Lord and Savior. Like none of that comes up with Jesus. Jesus simply says like, hey, I've got some good news. I'm bringing some light into the world. And then he immediately says to his disciples, now you are the light of the world. I'm bringing some light, but like I'm not holding it all. And it's not actually all about me. This is the thing I think that gets us. Jesus actually didn't make it all about him. We did that. Jesus was never asking to be the center of attention. I think he was trying to start a movement of humanity that would be human differently in the world. And if Christmas invites us to anything, it's not to abandon our humanity for something else. If Christmas invites us to anything, it's to be more fully, unembarrassedly human. Because when God shows up in the world, which I would contend is all the time, the way God shows up in the world is through people walking around in these bodies, living these lives, all sorts of ordinary, all sorts of everyday, average, ordinary stuff. Mundane, boring, picking up the dry cleaning, trying to navigate traffic, living through a two degree temperature swing, like all the things you do every day. That's the ordinariness of life. And I think that's where we find the divine inviting us to go and join in this great task, not of shoving our religion onto other people, not of condemning whole groups of people, but on simply saying, I've got a little bit of light and the world needs a little more light. So what if I take my light and I join it with your light? And then we just see what begins to happen in the world. Not an invitation to dogma or certainty, but an invitation to a certain kind of humanity. What if, what if Jesus, thank you. What if Jesus had just, what if Jesus had done the opposite? carve statues of me out of butter. What if that was the command? (laughs) Instead it was, you've seen it, you've seen what I've done, now go and join me in the work of doing it. Christmas is a time for us to of course celebrate the birth of Jesus, right? That's, that's, tis the reason for the season. Um, People are really worried you're gonna take Christ out of the Christmas, but seems hard to do. But I think it's also a time for those of us who are part of this faith. If you're, if you're, not, if you're here tonight and you don't consider yourself a Christian, that's okay, we, we celebrate you too. But if you are here and you do consider yourself to be part of this tradition, this family, this thing called Christianity, maybe Christmas is a time for us to consider how we might continue his work in the world. Maybe by talking about him less and embodying his life more. Maybe by holding less firmly to doctrine and dogma and actually opening our hands so that we can share the basic necessities of life with the people around us. Maybe it's less about believing and maybe it's more about being. Maybe it's about uh, continuing his work, embodying his passion for justice and compassion. And by the way, when Jesus wanted to sum up his idea of justice and compassion, he used the word love. He used the word love, not as some sort of light, sentimental sort of thing, but as this real heavy, challenging concept of, to put it in Cornell West's words, love is what justice looks like in public, or justice is what love looks like in public. And this is what Jesus has invited us to. You know, you ever listen to those radio commercials where they're talking about a franchise, they're like, this is not an offer to be part of a franchise? Jesus is doing the opposite. He's saying, I'm starting a franchise, and you're in if you wanna be. 
I'm starting a franchise, a movement of light and goodness and love and hope and healing in the world. And if you wanna be a part of that movement, all you have to do is say, okay, and then be part of the movement. There's no test, there are no forms, there's no hoop. It's simply, do you want to see the world become a better place? Do the Jesus stories help you do that? Awesome, welcome to the team. And so tonight, I wanna invite the band to get ready to come back up. Tonight, we're gonna do something people do at Christmas Eve services all the time. Uh, we weren't allowed to have real open flames in the room um, for you know, obvious reasons. Um, so when you came in, you were handed a candle. Don't turn it on yet, please. Um, I'm gonna instruct you on how to turn it on, and then I'm gonna talk about what for us tonight we're gonna, and it can be anything else you want, but I wanna invite you to think about it a certain way. So on the bottom, there's this little switch. If you flip it, the candle comes on. All right, uh, off, on, off, on. If you need to practice it, that's okay. But then turn it back off. I'm watching. Um, think about Jesus' invitation. Uh, Jesus' invitation to franchise. Jesus' invitation to not make it all about him and not to just have this one single solitary light that everything comes back to. And if you wanna be a part of this, you have to like travel over land and sea and go to this one place where there's this light and then you have to stare at the light. But Jesus' invitation was, no, actually, I just wanna pass this off to you and I want you to pass it off to somebody else. And suddenly a, a world that is quite dark doesn't feel so dark anymore. And so as we are about to sing together, I'm gonna to come down and I'm just gonna start and we wanna do this as much the old fashioned way as possible. Don't light your candle unless you've cheers with the person next to you because we are going to pass the light because that is how the light ultimately travels. It is passed from person to person, from heart to heart, from story to story. We are so grateful that you're here tonight. We're so grateful that you are a part of this moment as we symbolize what our community really wants to be about, just a place that's making the world a little bit brighter from person to person to person.